Tonight, male feminist alert. A left-wing activist kicks a conservative woman in the face while being filmed, and he's proud of himself. It's October 4th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign, and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government I want to show you a video taken by a conservative woman at a peaceful pro-life protest in Toronto yesterday of about 75 folks at an event called Life Chain. It's a pro-life thing. The woman holding the phone taking the video is named Marie-Claire Bissonnette. She's in her 20s. She says there was one counter-protester uh, which is fine, that's the Canadian way, peaceful protest, peaceful counter-protest. Maybe even once in a while the two opposing sides might even have a conversation. Now I'll show you the video in just a second, but let me tell you one more thing. In addition to the, to the female counter-protester, the pro-choice protester, and the 75 pro-life protesters, the pro-choice protester seems peaceful, you'll see in the video. And she has her own sign, you'll see. But a man apparently walked up lip piercings, you know, very beta male, very male feminist shtick. You'll see in a second. But instead of debating, he takes out a marker of some sort and starts defacing the signs of the pro-life protesters, uh, according to the young woman, uh, just vandalizing them right then and there. So this young woman, Marie Claire, tells her fellow protesters to protect their signs from him. And uh, apparently, uh, so she says, he starts coloring on the clothing of the pro-life protesters themselves, if he can't get to their sign. Now, if that's true, you just can't go up to someone and start coloring on them. Uh, that's actually a form of assault and battery. It's, it's probably criminal mischief. And more than that, it's just lame. It's just lame, get a life. Now, this young lady, Marie Claire, takes out her, her camera to document this, and that's when this happened. Look at the whole video. What? They actually filming. have people filming you the whole time. Classic cool. kill with kindness. Guess what? Hey, destruction somebody, of private property. It's against the law. Somebody gets raped by somebody, and they're like, "I'm a 16-year-old, and I can't have this baby." Think you should keep it? It's a baby. Yeah. If someone was raped and she gave birth, and she decided to kill her three-year-old child. Oh, I meant to get your phone. That's pretty crazy, eh? Let's watch it in, because it's very short. Look at a few things. The, the blue-haired girl at the left, she's a pro-choice protester, but she's fine from what I can see. Now, she seems to confirm Marie Claire's statement that this guy had just been vandalizing their property. She says it was all caught on tape. Uh, you can see there's another pro-life girl trying to wipe something off her arm. I don't know, maybe, maybe something that was written on her with a marker. I don't know. And then to the right, you can see an elderly couple, and then there's this jumpy male feminist, and when the camera's turned on, he goes into show-off mode, perform mode, emotional mode, maybe panic mode, I don't know. Um, maybe because he was caught on the marker thing, he thought, well, what the heck, I'm trapped now. I don't know. He does his little dance, and then he kicks her. Let's just watch it again. What? You're they actually filming. have people filming you the whole time. Cool. Which is why I say kill with kindness. Guess what? Hey. Destruction somebody, of private property. It's against the law. somebody gets raped by somebody 
and they're like, I'm a 16 year old and I can't have this baby. Think you should keep it? It's a baby. Yeah. If someone was raped and she gave birth and she decided to kill her three year old child. Oh, I meant to kick your phone. Didn't your mama tell you don't punch a girl? Didn't your daddy tell you that? Don't you know that? Don't you know that? And then there's a little vo voice, he says, he cries out in pain. He kicks her and he cries out in pain. I, I only meant to kick your phone. I, I only meant to kick your phone. He winds it three times as if he's the victim. Because his further plans for more assaults and batteries and vandalism and mischief, you know, those, those plans went a little bit further than even he was comfortable with. And he just plain old wound up and kicked a girl. I don't know, in the face, in the hand, I, I don't quite know. Uh, in the hand for sure. As if I meant to only kick your phone is a justification or an excuse for violence. What a coward, of course. Typical male feminist, of course. He's there for a women's right to choose, he says. Unless they make a choice that he doesn't like. And then he'll wind up and kick them in the face, right in the middle of a peaceful and calm conversation. Now, you've got to be a special kind of stupid to punch or kick someone in the face while they're filming you. But there's a lot of that kind of stupid going around. Remember in January of last year, our Sheila Gunn-Reed was at a so-called women's march in Edmonton at the legislature there, and another male feminist with low, low hygiene and facial piercings, just like this guy, went from debating Sheila Gunn-Reed to punching her in about 30 seconds. As in the back. Okay, so wouldn't you say that it would be feminine? No, 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 I'm just asking you a question. Do I seem unreasonable to you? Because they seem really pleasant. I think, am I coming across as pleasant right now? Yeah, We're just trying to have a conversation here. I'm having, I'm trying to have a conversation Go with you. Away. Get out of my face. I will break your camera. You don't have the right to. Yes, she does. Just she, like, guy, dude, you just hey, hit guys, me in the guys, face. Guys, guys. No, don't, hey, don't tell me to calm down. I'm not telling you. Yeah, you guys should move away. You deserve to be angry. You deserve to be angry. Yeah. Were yeah. <laughs> those guys cousins or something? They went to the same lip piercing place or something? They both go to the vegan collective together or something? And you notice his feminist allies whisked him away. They comforted him. He's the real victim. And they didn't lift a finger for Sheila. That's, that's similar to him crying out, the guy in Toronto. He was crying out. Dion Bue's crying out here. We had to sue that guy in civil court, the guy in Edmonton. We finally won. Dion Bue's was that thug's name. By the way, I bought the website dionbues.com, D-I-O-N-B-E-W-S.com. And just so you know, forever, it will point to that video of him punching a woman just because she was conservative. His kids, if he has them, I doubt he will, will know what the father is like. But the similarities, eh? Dion Pews was unrepentant. He played the victim. And the same with this whiny little thug in Toronto and both hate girls claiming to be feminists. So gross. Now, I presume that the guy in Toronto bravely ran away. But the thing is, how do I put this? It's on the internet. And as of this morning, that little video clip I've shown you had been seen on Twitter alone more than 1.5 million times. Around the world, yes, but a lot in Toronto. Didn't take too long for someone to identify him 
I mean, he was just standing three feet away from a high-definition smartphone camera. <laughs> and he looks unique, doesn't he? Well, actually, not quite so unique. Now, a pro-life website very quickly found out who he was, almost immediately. Uh, he's Jordan Hunt. He's a Toronto hairdresser. He worked for a salon called Noble Studio 101. But when they saw the video of him violently assaulting a woman, they fired him right away. Now, I've got to tell you, normally I'm not too thrilled about Internet mobs calling for people to be fired. But this wasn't firing a man over his opinions. This was firing a man so clearly and vividly caught in flagrante delicto, as they say, caught red-handed. There's not a lot of nuance, not a lot of wiggle room to what happened. You kicked a woman in the hand, in the face, I don't know, you kicked her. Let the police and the prosecutors weigh that to a nicety, weigh that beyond a reasonable doubt for a criminal conviction. But the salon was wise just to get a man like that away from women. Would you want to go to a salon with a man like that who'll punch a woman? Now, Jordan Hunt, upon being caught, didn't do what Dion Buse did. Dion Buse, the little weasel in Edmonton, he tried to scrub all his social media accounts. He tried to delete them. Now, he failed because we downloaded them all before we announced that we caught him. That's what we did back then. But this guy, Jordan Hunt, he seems to be reveling in it. Now, the moment I record this video, maybe he's going to change in the next hour or two. As I record this video in the afternoon, Here's his Twitter feed. It, it looks to me like he's, like he's bragging. Let me read to you some of these comments on Twitter for Jordan Hunt. Now, someone had criticized him, so he wrote, This is just a load of BS. Nobody saw what happened before. He's arguing that he was justified that this mild-mannered lady who was hit, well, she deserved it. Uh, he actually wrote that, and, and you see, to uh, defend women's rights, he wrote, I will never apologize for defending women's rights. So, so to defend women's rights, it became necessary to violently assault a woman. Don't you see the logic here? So, someone pointed out the irony of punching a woman to protect women, and he wrote back, he said, did you just assume her effing gender? Spelled Gedner. It's a little tricky to spell. At this point, I'm thinking, this, this can't be real. This guy is too perfect of an idiot. This has got to be a satirical account on Twitter. Got to be a hoax. Uh, I mean, here he is again. You don't know the whole story, women hater, he says in reply to a critic. <laughs> and then he says this. Oh, my God. He says this. Heroes were always attacked in their day for defending the rights of others. Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Sutherland B. Anthony, I will not back down for defending women's rights. I think that's how he speaks. Now, come on, this can't be real. This has got to be a hoax. This really can't be a real social media account of someone who just kicked a young woman on camera. It can't be. I have been tricked, surely. That's what I thought. Like, I thought there's just no way. This is no way. But, but look at this. I mean, here's the biography on his social media account on Twitter. He calls himself a pro-choice warrior and a part of the resistance. And that looks like him. Um, but that, again, could be part of a parody account, right? If you set up a joke account, you would be able to get his photo and you could write whatever you want. But here's what convinces me. This account predates his attack on this young woman yesterday. So I don't think it could have been set up by someone just pretending to be him in that last 48 hours because his name 
on the account is written Jordan Hunt, and he has been posting comments in this same male feminist vein hundreds of times for about a month. So this wasn't just confected in the last 24 hours. I, I have a tr hard time believing it's real. I just think this guy is so absurd, such a caricature of the modern, modern alt-left that I am on guard for a hoax, okay? I mean, I still don't 100% believe it, and I want you to know that. Maybe it's going to be revealed as a trick, because can someone really be this dumb? Well, Dion Buse was a caricature too, wasn't he? Look at him. But he's real. This really is what the left looks like these days. Here's a screen grab from Jordan Hunt's hair salon. Can I read it to you? I'm, I'm, it's in small text to the bottom, but we've blown it up a little bit. And again, I, I, I know it sounds like a joke. I know that. Maybe that's a sign that I'm just getting old, that I think this has all got to be some sort of a send-up. But let me read this in case you can't see the, the small print. And yes, I'm probably going to read it in my funny voice because I just can't help it. So this is what he wrote on his old salon from which he was fired. I'm working on my book, The Hippie Swamp Witch. The Hippie Swamp Witch. A guide to natural living and my very own product line. Avita trained, I love to let the hair tell me what it wants to do. Oh, Lord, thunder and Jesus. Now, I'm not going to read more, but it would not surprise me if he, when he's taken to court, said, Your Honor, the hair told me to do it. The hair, Your Honor. Here's a picture from his Facebook page. Look, I understand that pink hair and tattoos are, are the thing. I really don't have a lot to say about that. But what's with the upside-down pentagram Necklace. He was wearing that when he hit Marie Claire. Um, is that just something that he thought looked really cool? Or is that a symbol of his own philosophy? I, I know it sounds absurd, and I just I don't even want to say it because it sounds so stupid. But you do know that a, a pentagram, especially one that's upside down, you do know that's a symbol of Satanism, right? And I, I, I mean, I don't talk about these things, right? When was the last time you heard me talk about things like that? I, like, not even once a year. But he's wearing it. I know it sounds nuts, but saying you kicked a woman in the hand or the face or whatever because you're defending women is nuts. Maybe this guy is nuts. But did you see his Twitter bio? He says he's part of the resistance. That's, that's what the leftists in the United States call themselves. I mean, you look through it. If you scroll through his Twitter account, he's obsessed with the American left. This is his stuff from the last day or so. Where, where he's talking about punching, uh, kicking a girl. But before that, it's all Trump, anti-Trump mania. Uh, he's obsessed with fighting against Trump, even though he's a Canadian hairstylist and would-be author of A Guide to Natural Living as a Witch or something. This is all just, he's just play-acting. He's living out a fantasy where he's this superhero fighting against evil Donald Trump, and in reality, he's a Toronto barber who kicked a girl. Now, that's disastrous, that's criminal, that's immoral, and you can tell there's a residual shred of conscience, conscience underneath all of his BS that knows what he did was wrong. That's why he panicked when he hurt her worse than he thought he would and said, I didn't mean to do that. Like, that was so instant. He realized there was a, there was a shred of decency inside him that woke up there, didn't it? But now, if this Twitter account is his, and I, by God, it looks like it, 
Now he's rejoicing over what he's done. I think he thinks he's a star. That this is proof that he really is part of the resistance. He really is the hero he wanted to be. He's never had more clicks on his social media account, more likes. He, he's part of the scene now. He's a hero. Who knows? Maybe he'll get rich off it. He'll be discovered. Maybe he'll start a GoFundMe page or something, as all these people testifying against Brett Kavanaugh have done. I say again, there is a tiny chance this is all an elaborate hoax because it's so crazy. But surely we've seen enough crazies, usually on campuses, like these crazies, to know they ain't faking it. That's really what it's like, people. Oh my God, remember that lady? Holy Dinah. Look, it's not rare now. Yeah, that was in Toronto. Look, holy cow, it's, geez, I gotta get the eyewash going on. This isn't rare now. These crazies move from tweeting crazy things to talking crazy things and being crazy online to maybe being crazy in real life. I think it really started in earnest. If you had to have like a pistol shot for this whole thing, it was the day of Trump's inauguration when someone walked up to Richard Spencer, who's a racist activist, and just punched him in the face so hard I heard his eardrum broke. You don't do that in a civilized society. Even if the person you're punching is a racist, you don't do that. That's not, that's not how we live. But that became a thing. All the cool people said, do it, do it. Punch a Nazi was their phrase. And of course, they defined Nazi as anyone they didn't like at that moment. It was actually sort of the reserve. Punch someone and then justify it by saying they're a Nazi. Otherwise, you wouldn't have punched them. This was a particularly bad moment. Remember this? We will hunt monsters. And when we are at a loss amidst the hypocrisy and the casual violence of certain individuals and institutions, we will, as per Chief Jim Hopper, punch some people in the face when they seek to destroy the meat and the disenfranchised and the marginalized. Look at them all cheering. That was Hollywood for you. It's not just Hollywood, though. Here's Maxine Waters. Um, a longtime Democratic congresswoman telling people to accost not just Nazis, but any Republican, anywhere, everywhere. Let's make sure we show up wherever we have to show up. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. Here's some professional leftists who got into the Senate and cornered a senator in a tiny elevator, blocked the door, blocked the doors from closing, blocked the elevator from moving, and just screamed at him for minutes, trapping him. Look at this. This is not tolerable. You have children in your family. Think about them. I have two children. I cannot imagine that for the next 50 years, they will have to have someone in the Supreme Court who has been accused of violating a young girl. What are you doing, sir? It won't surprise you to know that the people in that elevator work for a Soros-funded NGO. Uh, that's Senator Flake. He actually caved after that. Here's another leftist online who showed that clip and told other people to accost Republicans this way. He said, tell me again, why we shouldn't confront Republicans where they eat, where they sleep, and where they work until they stop being complicit in the destruction of our democracy. Where they sleep, eh? Where they sleep. 
somebody's going to get killed here by some kook, by some loser, by someone looking for media attention, or maybe even by someone who truly believes they're fighting against a new Hitler, whether that's Trump or some mild-mannered pro-life protester in Toronto. I was pleasantly surprised that Global News, which is usually a hard left-wing outfit, they actually covered this story, at least online. I was surprised by that. So did the Toronto Sun, of course. I mean, it's a great story from a news point of view. Shocking viral video, streets of Toronto. Um, but where's the CBC? Where's the Toronto Star? Where's the New York Times? A woman was just assaulted by a man for political reasons. Isn't that the theme of our age? When a young girl falsely claimed that her hijab had been cut by a Chinese man, Justin Trudeau issued a tweet within hours condemning an Islamophobia national news. It was a hoax. But here we have a real attack, a violent attack, specifically for political reasons, utterly unprovoked. But because it's against a Christian conservative, nobody important cares. Well, we care. And whether you're pro-choice or pro-life, you should care too, because we are losing our cultural taboo against punching some people in the face, as that Hollywood actor said. Hollywood doesn't actually mean that. They all have private bodyguards. They all lived in live in gated communities with high-tech alarm systems. So losers copying Hollywood, you know, they, they, shouldn't, they should know that Hollywood doesn't actually mean it. They don't mean it. Don't think this is the last of this. I don't think it is. And unless this Toronto thug is jailed and made a public example of, expect plenty more like this. Oh, and by the way, um, I took 10 bucks and I bought the website jordanhunt.ca and it will point to this video forever. Stay with us for more. success that we're seeing today. We're very excited with what's going to happen here over the next little time, a little bit. Uh, as I've said before, I'm willing to work with, with any party that, that has uh, some of the ideas that we have been pushing. Uh, you know, part of being a minority government is negotiation, it's compromise, it's working with all other parties, and that's what we've committed to do without losing the values and the ideals that we've been pushing for for years. We're going to stay true to who we are. Well, that is Chris Austin. He is the leader of the People's Alliance of New Brunswick, a provincial party that looks like it holds the balance of power. A, a surprise to those of us in the rest of the country that maybe don't follow provincial politics in New Brunswick closely enough, but as we told you the day after the election, almost a third of New Brunswickers chose non-traditional parties, something that we saw replicated shortly thereafter in Quebec, where 50% of voters chose something new. And what a pleasure to tell you that joining us now via Skype from Fredericton is Chris Austin, the leader of that party. Well, first of all, congratulations to you, Mr. Austin. Um, you certainly surprised you. those of us outside New Brunswick who hadn't been following you closely. Uh, within New Brunswick, do you think you surprised people too? 
I think maybe on a certain level. Um, we knew what we were hearing on the ground, um, the coffee shops and the day to day, you know, talking to people type of deal. Um, we knew we had support there. Um, you know, not only did we win uh, three seats, uh, but we got uh, uh, almost 13 percent of the vote across the province and uh, we came in second place in seven ridings. So we're, we're very, um, you know, uh, very excited about what unfolded election night. Well, I took the liberty of reading your platform, and I, I could only find one campaign video online. So I think I have a, a basic understanding of your party's platform, but maybe you can say it in your own words. Uh, where would you put yourself on the ideological spectrum? What are the important issues to you? What, what was it that made three ridings vote for you in first place and come in second and seven more? Well, I think um, some of the key issues uh, deal with um, tax reform. Uh, we're tired of our tax dollars going to big corporate handouts while small businesses here at home are struggling every day. Uh, we're tired of politicians and in this uh, status quo system, which just seems to uh, steamroll uh, the wishes of the people on on day to day policies in the province. So, you know, it's 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 we, you know we we talk about everything from you know eliminating corporate handouts. Uh, proper tax reform. Uh, you know, we're, New Brunswick is is in a completely archaic tax system uh, where you know businesses are struggling. People can't make ends meet. Uh, you look at a city like St. John, which in in just uh, recent history had the highest child poverty rate in the country, yet also has the largest oil refinery in the country. Um, so we're thinking, you know, are they paying the fair share of taxes? And the taxes that they are paying, are they going into the city? Um, or are they going, you know, to the province to be spent frivolously on on some of these ridiculous projects? So, all kinds of ideas. Uh, language fairness. We said, you know, we we respect the rights of both linguistic communities here in New Brunswick, being the only bilingual province in Canada. But, but my goodness, the way it's implemented is just completely, uh, completely out out of uh, out of control. Well, that last one caught my eye when I saw your uh, it mentioned in your campaign video. In in many parts of Canada, that would be deemed off-limits, a taboo subject to criticize, um, you were not afraid to, to challenge uh, official bilingualism, or at least the way it's implemented in New Brunswick. How were you received by the media and by the pundits and by polite company? Were you allowed to have a, a healthy debate about an issue that's regarded as a sacred cow? Uh, I wouldn't quite put it that way, um, but I think when you when you look at the issue at large, uh, you know we've always taken the approach that you know we're not going to you know when it comes to these hot button items or these taboo topics, we refuse to take the politically you know correct sanitized approach to these issues. We've always said we'll hit them head on and we'll have respectful, meaningful debates around them. Uh, we want all people included on those debates. Um, but see, the governments of the past have had secret meetings around the Official Languages Act and uh, you know, making amendments to that act. And, and it was all done behind closed doors without public consultation. So you know, a lot of groups, organizations, even average Joe and uh, public uh, wasn't included in that. Mm -hmm. So it's really affecting people's lives here in New Brunswick. I mean, you got people that maybe are not bilingual that can't get government jobs. You got people that have government jobs that can't get seniority, can't get advancement because of language. Um, it's a big issue here in New Brunswick and paramedics is a great example uh, Ezra, we have uh, paramedics sometimes that aren't showing up for 40, 45 minutes after the 911 call comes in 
because again, uh, language requirements for paramedics are so so high that we can't find enough bilingual paramedics to fill them. So a lot of them go unstaffed. That is, it's, the it's a real issue. Thing I've heard that you, it's insane. I mean, it's one thing for a, a you know a bureaucrat to have a bilingualism requirement. I mean, you could argue over that, but to have a paramedic to to not allow a paramedic. I mean, I'm I'm guessing whether you speak French or speak English, if you have God forbid a heart attack or an injury. You don't care if they speak English, French, or, or Japanese. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That is, I have never oh. heard that before, and I can imagine how that would resonate if you, if, if that, and that's just incredible. Thank you for that uh, news I didn't know. Can I ask you about something else that's of interest to me? I'm, I'm originally from Alberta, and, and, I, and I think about the oil sands and the oil patch. And you mentioned the largest refinery in Canada is right there in St. John. I think that's most Canadians don't know that. They assume mm -hmm. the big refineries are, are in Alberta. Um, the Energy East pipeline, which mm -hmm. when it was uh, terminated, was had a budget of $15.7 billion just to construct the thing. And I don't know exactly right. how much of that would have been in New Brunswick, but I, surely the, the number would be billions. I know mm -hmm. that the, the New Brunswick legislature at one point, uh, all three parties of the day voted in support of it, but it sort of, it seemed to me like it didn't have a lot of energetic boosters, certainly not in, in, the, in the past premier. What, what's your party's view on Energy East, on developing oil and gas, on fracking, which I understand was mm -hmm. prospective, but then the Rexton riots sort of put that out. Do you have anything to say on energy? Was that, was that an issue in the campaign? Well, <laughs> excuse me, it, it wasn't quite as big an issue this campaign as it was the last one. But uh, the reality is New Brunswick is 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 poor and practically broke. Um, and the reason is, is because we, we've for so long lived in this extreme socialist mentality where everything should be free to everybody and let's put taxes through the roof to try to pay for it and let's borrow whatever else we need uh, to make sure that we keep this uh, you know kind of fiat system going. Um, so in terms of energy specifically, what I've always said is our, our families, our young people here in New Brunswick, they're boarding planes every week. They're traveling out west uh, for 30 days at a time, some of them, uh, working the very things that we refuse to do here. And all the while, we're receiving transfer payments from out west here to New Brunswick, which you know help our health care and education system. So we have to be willing, at least open, to to resource development. I mean, that's, that's just if we're going to ever going to get to where we need to be. And with that said, uh, it has to be done right, and you can't shove these things down people's throats. Uh, fracking was a very contentious issue in 2014, and what we took to position was, look, if there's certain areas which just simply geographically the people there do not want to have fracking, we would allow certain areas to, you know, to either hold a referendum to to uh, bow out if they if they so choose, um, and making sure and, and technology is always advancing. Slick water was always the big issue. Um, you know, with the well casings and the slick water, well, technology is changing. Hearing about propane gel uh, fracking, so there, there's all kinds of different uh, advancements in technology. I think which could open the doors mm -hmm. too. Well, I'm glad you're open to it. I, as an Alberta boy, I mean, I've grown up around oil and gas, and so I'm not scared of it. And and I've I've seen places like Pennsylvania that were a rust belt that were in economic decline decline be revived, and mm -hmm. and it is my hope as a Canadian that that economic revival will come to our friends in New Brunswick and elsewhere. Let me talk more about the practical politics because it was interesting on election night, it was a real squeaker. In fact, there's no majority there. Uh, catch us up because when we last covered 
uh, your results. We, we suggested that you were in a place to be the, the kingmaker, the power broker. How was that resolved? Has the lieutenant governor decided, um, or has the province come to a, a resolution on who's going who's gonna to be in the government? No, that's the crazy thing. Uh, we was just meeting with our, our volunteers today to go over staffing, um, you know, funding and that sort of thing. Excuse me for staffing, but we can't even get that because the government right now is just completely up in the air, which is ridiculous. Uh, the current Liberal Premier, Mr. Gallant, should do the honourable thing and resign and get out of the way so we can move on with governing this province. But he refuses to. He's, he's using delay tactics. Uh, to try to get the majority. He's called probably every MLA in the in the legislature that you could imagine uh, to try to get them to cross the floor. So uh, desperation, uh, no question. But again, this is this is holding everything just in limbo, um, both in government as a whole and even as us as a party to have the budget we need to hire staff to be able to move forward. So it's it's uh, but 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 with that said, once he's out of the way, and he will be out of the way, uh, then I think we can we can develop a stable government, um, you know, to be able to get some bills forward and, and turn New Brunswick around. So just to clarify, and we talked about this on the show the other day, but we're we've got you right here talking to us live, so you're the source of it. Um, have you come to terms with the Conservative Party on on a modus vivendi, on a on a way forward? What you would support them on, what you wouldn't? Have you? Have you, I remember federally when there was a minority government and the three opposition parties of the day, the Liberals, the NDP, and the Bloc, they actually signed a contract that they present, they wanted to present to the Governor General to form a coalition. Like it was very formal, a very formal written deal. Do you have a term sheet or a contract with the Conservative, Progressive Conservative Party on how to form a governing coalition with them? Have you got that uh, tangible yet? No, and I did meet with the Lieutenant Governor to reassure her that once the Liberals are out of the way, that I am willing to work uh, cooperatively in an informal, uh, non-binding way with the uh, Conservative government to get that majority. And, and, and it would be a very tight majority, mm -hmm. uh, but I'd be willing to do that on a case-by-case, bill-by-bill basis. Um, what, I'm, what I don't want to do, Ezra, to be honest, is I don't want to be in anybody's back pocket here. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's important that, you know, minority governments are about negotiation, they're about give and take, but I'm, I'm very hesitant to get into any type of coalition or any formal agreements with the Conservatives. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem with the Conservative Party here in New Brunswick is, is they've, they've kind of become a, a, a liberal light party. Um, you know, they, they, they've, they've lost their way, I think, over the years where you can't tell the difference between the Liberal and Conservative parties anymore. But there are some things that they have pushed for that we certainly agree with. And, uh, you know, I'm willing to work with them as much as possible to create stability and, and to get things done here at home. Hmm. You know, you sound a little bit to me, and I'm not putting you in his camp or anything, but just you've made me think of Maxime Bernier uh, twice. Because, first of all, the name of your party, the People's Alliance, and, and his is the People's Party, and your criticisms of the conservatives from which you've come, they, they're a liberal light. That sounds like something Maxime Bernier would say about the Andrew Scheer conservatives. Um, ha have you had any interactions with, with Bernier or his team? Or is there anything you look at him as a role model or vice versa? I'm just curious if there's any connection because uh, it does strike me as, as similar. And critics would say you split the vote from the conservative, but but maybe supporters would say, well, you're, you're there to, you know, make sure they are truly conservative. I don't know. I just find it an interesting phenomenon. Do you have any th thoughts on that? Well, um, 
I, I guess I would say this. We've been here for eight years. Right. We started the party in 2010. So Maxine Bernier came onto the scene just, I think, yeah, was in the last year or two. Ago, so, yeah. Right. So, um, no, there's no connection whatsoever there with Mr. Bernier. I did have a chance to meet him when he was running in the leadership. Um, you know, I, I met him, you know, had a, a quick conversation with him. But beyond that, there's there's no connection whatsoever uh, with Mr. Bernier. I do understand his sentiment with the two-party system. I've been saying that provincially. Um, and I know the conservatives uh, and the liberals, frankly, in this last campaign, used the vote-splitting myth. Uh, quite heavily, um, and apparently the people of New Brunswick didn't buy into it. Thankfully, mm. uh, they voted for what they believed in, and uh, that's what we need. I believe in our in our system. We got to stop this idea of, you know, these parties seem to think they own people's votes or they're entitled to people's votes, and and that's just arrogance and 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 foolishness. Frankly, um, I own my own vote, and I'll vote for what I believe in. If everybody did that, I think we'd have a better a better system. You've been very generous with your time with us today, and I'm just delighted to meet you in person. We've been we've been talking about you. Your ears are burning, and uh, we're, mm -hmm. it's a it's glad to hear it straight from you. Um, it strikes me that you are independent-minded, and and you've said a few things today that I wouldn't say they surprised me, but they certainly caught my ear um, when you questioned the the giant refinery. Well, that's taking on quite a quite a powerful interest, the Irving Refinery, and and when you challenge the traditional application of bilingualism, especially that crazy paramedic. I mean, you, example, you're taking on a sacred cow and the fact that you're not willing to sign a, a perpetual contract or a, a binding contract with the conservatives, you're, you're sounding very independent to me, which I like because you're, it sounds like you're a tiny bit of a rebel, if I can use that word. Um, mm. I want to know how you've been treated by the political establishment, including the media, the media, because I think sometimes the media is a very uh, closed group. It's a clique. And if you get offside with them, they'll marginalize you. They'll call you extremist. I mean, you use the phrase socialist mentality. Have you been called far right? Or have you been marginalized by polite company? Or do people just know you well enough? And is New Brunswick a small enough place that that, that kind of name calling just wouldn't work on you? Well, I, I think it's been attempted. But I think you, you're right. I think you just hit it on the head. New Brunswick is a small town mentality, right? Um, you know, the people that know me and know and, and read our platform, the things that we stand for, they see that we're not this far right radical group. What we are is we're a group of common sense, rational people that are saying the system is out of whack and you can't just prune the edges. You, you, need, you need to you need to roll up your sleeves and do some serious uh, uh, gardening, if, if, you, if you will, you know, to, to get things right. And in terms of the, the Irving Oil Refinery, I mean, look, we think it's great that it's here. It employs a lot of people and, and, and we support the refinery. All we're asking is that that refinery will pay a, a reasonable and fair share of taxes into the province, uh, because again, that that refinery does not include machinery and equipment in their assessments. Mm -hmm. So they have a very very low amount of taxes that they would pay, comparable to places like Alberta, mm -hmm. where they'd be paying twenty million dollars more in taxes every year. So, again, we want industry, uh, but we want industry paying fair and reasonable taxes, because when they don't. Uh, people do. They, you know, they, then again, when you get these liberal governments that come in with all these free programs and free to everything, to everybody, taxes have to pay for that. Mm -hmm. So they, they put people's taxes through the roof. Um, I don't know if you, Ezra, if you heard about the property tax scandal that happened in New Brunswick, but another case where people, the government literally uh, fabricated renovations to homes to try to increase more tax revenue, and it blew up here in this province. It was insane. 
Wow. I'm not familiar with that, but you've certainly, again, told me something quite surprising. I'm very glad to have spent uh, these past 20 minutes with you. I'm grateful for your time. It sounds like you're in uh, a, a curious uh, holding pattern until the lieutenant governor makes a ruling. I wish you good luck. I'm impressed with what I've heard, and I'm, I'm sure that our viewers from around the country uh, are now going to be following much more closely your efforts, and, I, and I'm sure they would join with me in wishing you good luck and, and to say that I personally uh, find what you're saying quite exciting, and I hope it catches on, and, and hopefully we can talk to you again in the future um, after the government is resolved and when you're actually getting into the hard work of governing. Yes. No, I appreciate that, Ezra, and any time, uh, I'd love to come back. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you very much, uh, and good luck. Great. All right. Thank you. Appreciate that. There you have it. That's Chris Austin. He's the leader of the People's Alliance of New Brunswick. As he mentioned, the party has been around since 2010, but now they have three uh, elected legislators, second in seven more ridings, and they seem to hold the balance of power. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Welcome back on my monologue yesterday about provincial pushback against Justin Trudeau's illegal immigrants. Paul writes, Will Trudeau listen to the provinces when it comes to immigration and illegals? I wouldn't count on it. Cleaning up this mess would take someone with a backbone. The Liberals are all about creating serious problems, not solving them. Sheer would likely fold the second the CBC stuck a microphone in front of them. Yeah, you know what? I think you're right. You remember when I had uh, Maxime Bernier on the show a couple weeks ago? Uh, I... I, I reminded him of what I asked Andrew Shear the last time Shear came on the show. And Shear was saying, oh, I'm against migrants who have a criminal background or terrorist background. Well, yeah, that's it's pretty easy to say. Even Trudeau would, would, would say the same thing. But I said, well, what about testing for things like uh, cultural fits, uh, Canadian values, equality men and women? He wouldn't answer me but four times on that. Um, I think the, the questions to ask about immigration are not, would you make it more orderly? Don't think lack of order at the border is the actual problem. It's, it is part of the problem. But the quantity and the quality of the migration is what is really the sticking point. The fact that we're not choosing, there's no cultural fit, linguistic fit, values fit, that's a problem. And the sheer quantum, the sheer number, that's a problem. Andrew Shear and Michelle Rempel are both terrified of those issues. They prefer to talk about, well, it's not orderly at the border. The orderliness is not the big problem. Billy writes, there is already government funding for removal of illegal unqualified migrants. That program just needs to be expanded to include voluntary repatriation. It's common sense. It saves the taxpayer money, makes the Syrian refugees who opt in happy to go back to their culture and homelands. And it's a win-win. CPC would be smart to campaign for this repatriation program since many refugees would be more than happy to return if only they could afford it. Um, maybe, could be, but if you're getting paid 50 grand a year cash from the feds, plus free housing, plus free food, plus free healthcare, plus free education. And if you know how to work the system, I've been told by people, by doctors, that just the same way people are, said, are told, say this to the police at the border, don't turn back. Like they've basically given the how-to. It's probably on an app. How-to uh, coming to Canada. They have similar how-tos for how to game the system. Say you have PTSD, you'll get more benefits. Bring all your wives in, if you have a polygamous marriage, get them all on welfare and get all your kids. I've had doctors tell me about families where there's one man, 
four wives, all the kids, and they get a check for all the wives and all the kids. They're living like millionaires. They game the system. So my point is, not sure if those folks would say, yeah, I'll take 50 grand to go back to Syria. I mean, Syria is their home, but if you've learned how to game the system and no one here is enforcing the law, it's hard to go back. On my interview with John Carpe, Peter writes, thanks so much for that example of socialist indoctrination. God bless John, get the truth out. It will find light, only months to go to victory. All right, well, I take your point, and by that, I'm sure you mean when Rachel Notley is discarded by voters in favor of Jason Kenney, and I am sure that is what's going to happen. But as we discussed with John, uh, Jason Kenney, at least until the moment of our interview, was silent as a mouse on this issue. And there's no reason to be. Jason Kenney and the United Conservative Party have an enormous lead, double-digit lead. There really is no chance that they're not going to win. And yet they're so timid. Is it because they're timid of the NDP? No, they're timid about the media. Well, if Rachel Notley is out and Jason Kenney is in in a year, it doesn't change the media. Media is still there. I am concerned that, uh, more even about Jason Kenney than even Andrew Scheer, because Andrew Scheer knows he has to get conservative support, so he has to get the base revved up a bit. Jason Kenney has such a big lead, he has, doesn't have to be conservative. He can actually tilt left now and know he's going to win. So there is every political incentive in the world for Jason Kenney to be more liberal, to avoid any controversy, and to be the best conservative that the CBC will allow. That's what worries me. So your premise is Jason Kenney's going to fix this when he's in office. Yeah, maybe, but I see no evidence of that. Well, that's our show for today. Hey, I want to tell you something, and uh, maybe we could just show the, uh, the website on the screen. We have just announced speaking of Alberta, our Rebel Live event. As you know, we've done a few of those in Toronto. They're pretty fun. 500 folks gathering, 500 rebels to hear speakers, have some great barbecue. We're bringing in a big barbecue food truck to Calgary. It's coming on November 10, November 10th in Calgary, all day to Saturday. Um, speaking of Maxime Bernier, he's coming. Another MP's coming. Sheila Gunn-Reed's coming. Lindsay Shepard uh, is coming. You can see all the guests at therebellive.com, therebellive.com. And it's only 75 bucks for the whole day, including a barbecue lunch from the barbecue food truck. And I think I might have mentioned that once or twice already. Uh, that's at least a $20 value. Um, that's our early bird price. If you're a student or senior, we have even cheaper price. If you're a student, you can basically come for the price of, of a barbecue. You can come all day. So go to therebellive.com. And I uh, hope to see you there. It's going to be fun. I mentioned Sheila's the MC. We've got Robbie Picard coming. We've got Kian Bexty coming. We've got Scott Winograd coming. I don't have all the names at my fingertips, but it's going to be great. So check that out, therebellive.com, for those of you in Alberta or next to it. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, goodbye. And keep fighting for freedom.